All right, let me, uh, let me bless you as we get going. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here this Sunday. I bless you now in the name of Jesus, that you would know Jesus more wonderfully. I bless you to receive healing if you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit. I bless you to receive guidance from God. I bless you to receive help from God. And I bless you to flourish and prevail in whatever challenges you're facing in your life right now. I bless you to feel hope and joy and love and peace, whatever's going on in your life. I bless you with that. In the name of Jesus, may it be. Amen. All right, if you love thinking about how awesome God is, you're in for a good morning. You're in for a good morning. We're going to be talking a lot about that. We're in our study of Moses. We are now at the mountain of God. God, God. We're at Mount Sinai, uh, also called Mount Horeb. We have been going through this study. If you're new here visiting, we started last autumn going through the Exodus, and then we took um, many months of a break, and now we are at Mount Sinai and talking about um, God uh, and how he reveals himself to Moses and, and Moses' leadership of the nation. Here's a Google Earth shot from last week, basically a reminder of where Mount Sinai is. No, it is not on the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt between the two, um, the, two the Suez area and the Gulf of Aqaba. It's not there. We, are, we know for 100% certainty that it's right where that red dot is, and we're going to be talking more about that over the next couple weeks. Um, yeah, it cannot be in Egypt. The Bible places it in Midian, which is to the right of the Gulf of Aqaba. They had left Egypt. So we're, we know just biblically it has to be in this area, but we know because, that it is right there where that dot is. It's called, um, some people call it Jabal al-Laz, although technically, technically, technically the actual ridge, the bump there is, is Jabal Makla, which is uh, right there. So we're going to go through and see how God meets with his people there at Mount Sinai in, um, in Midian there. And uh, we're going to be looking at chapters 19 and 20 in the book of Exodus. I'm not going to be reading all of it, but I want to be, be focusing on the passages that describe the awesomeness of God as he reveals himself to the nation, the whole nation. They, they all see this. Um, but just to catch you up on what's going on in chapter 19 thus far, at the beginning of chapter 19, there's kind of a recap, how we got to the mountain. Moses seems to have gone up on the mountain right away when he gets there. Um, he has a conversation with God. He gets some promises that if the nation obeys God, then they're going to be his special people. And he goes back down the mountain. He tells the elders. And then God tells Moses that he's going to reveal himself in a very special spectacular way to the whole nation and and they and they need to get they need to get ready now as i read this i want you to try and picture it in your mind and, and then whatever you're picturing make it a little bit bigger like I, this is a really awesome awesome moment but i'm going to read uh starting in verse 9 of exodus 19 and again, just this, this powerful moment. First of all, God's going to be telling him what he's going to do, starting in verse 9. It said, Yahweh, or the Lord, said to Moses, I am going to come down to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you. They're going to hear what he says. And will always believe you. Moses reported the people's words to the Lord. And the Lord told Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes. 
and be prepared by the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death. No hand may touch them when you're putting them to death. Instead, he will be stoned or shot with arrows and not live. Whether animal or human, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they may go up on the mountain. Then Moses came down from the mountain to the people and consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. He said to the people, be prepared by the third day. Do not have sexual relations with women. On the third day, when the morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound. This is a heaven trumpet sound, not, not something they're making themselves. A very loud trumpet sound so that all the people in the camp shuddered, like terrified, shaking. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. At the sound of the trumpet, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain. Then the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and he went up. The Lord directed Moses, go down and warn the people. Not to break through to see the Lord, otherwise many of them will die. Even the priests who come near the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out in anger against them. Moses responded to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai since you warned us, put a boundary around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord replied, go down and come back with Aaron. But the priests and the people must not break through the camp, break through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out in anger against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And then God's going to speak out the Ten Commandments. And they're all going to hear it. He's going to speak out the Ten Commandments. And then right after the Ten Commandments, we'll get back to that. shouldn't skip the Ten Commandments, but I'm at this moment. <coughs> then right, at the, right after he finishes the last word of the Ten Commandments, which is neighbor, all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us, and we will listen, they said to Moses. But don't let God speak to us, or we will die. Like that terror, that fear out there. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid. For God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. I hope you can see that in your mind's eye. Can, can you see that and, and, and feel that, the, the terror of it? It's not like just a spectacular thing. These people are genuinely afraid at this moment. Let me show you where this took place. Okay, here is the mountain. Google Earth, Google Earth uh, 3D snap there. The, the, the peak 
the top, the, the bit of the top and the top left, that is the top of the mountain, right? That's the top. That makes sense. The top is the top. <sighs> okay, so, okay. Um, now, again, this is the real Mount Sinai, and again, as we've talked about, if this is the real Mount Sinai, and million-some people are here with all their animals, and all that the Bible describes taking place in this place actually happened, then there's got to be evidences. There's going to be evidences, especially in such a remote area where people tend to not go. So there's going to be evidences here that we're in the right spot. Um, over the next couple weeks, um, so in two weeks from now, three weeks from now, we're going to be dealing with more and more specifics of the archaeology. But I'm going to give you some today just to get us going. But I also want to start by a few extra bits that need to be on this mountain that aren't actually going to come up in the book of Exodus. For example, um, there is a stream, says Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at the next picture here. I've kind of drawn out some things where I, I want you to pay attention. I've highlighted this stream here going down. Now, you can actually see it on the regular picture, but you, you probably weren't paying attention. Put the regular picture back up there, just for a second. Go back to the regular. Can you kind of see the stream, the stream bed, the dry stream bed? Okay, you can put that back up again. There is a, there, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 9 that there, a stream, a, a, a brook comes down from the mountain. Okay, so we, we have to have one of those if we're in the right spot. And, and there is one right there. Uh, so there's stream bed. Um, also, there has to be a cave, because remember, Elijah came to Mount Sinai, to Mount Horeb, and he stayed in a cave. So the, the purple circle there, it took me an hour to make sure I found the exact spot on Google Earth where this, where this was. Okay, I was a little over the top, but I, I'm like, I, I want to get this entirely right. That purple circle is where the cave is. Here's some pictures of the cave. So um, it's the dark circle at the bottom, like about two, three, five inches, I don't know. That, that far up <laughs> from, from the bottom there, and, and you can see the, the close-up of the cave. It's the only cave at Mount Sinai, so we know that this is the, the cave. Um, this is where Elijah was there. He'd run away from God, uh, sorry, he'd run away from Jezebel to God, and there was the wind that came, and God wasn't in the wind, and then there was the earthquake that came, and God wasn't in the earthquake, and then there was the fire that came, and God wasn't in the fire, and then there was a still small voice. And when, when Elijah hears that, he goes out to the entrance of the cave, and they have, and God and he have, have a conversation. It's, that's the only cave. That's, that's right here where that story is taking place. So anyways, that, a cave has to be here if we're in the right place, and there is one. Okay, so looking at the, the, drawing, the drawing one again here, uh, the blue box just up from the circle, up and left of the circle, that is the uh, plateau. Uh, we're going to talk about that more and look at it in a few weeks, but that's, remember the elders go and they have a meal with God up, they go up onto this plateau. That's the plateau where they go up to, They're, it's the only plateau and it's, it's a big area. We'll see that in a bit, but that needs to be there. Uh, the black circle area, or not really circle at all, but like the, the, the black circled area, that bit we're going to talk about in two weeks, that is kind of this worship area where they set up an altar, uh, where God commands them to put an altar at the base of the mountain. We'll, we'll look some pictures of that and, and that area two weeks from now. But today in our story, I, I want to talk about the, thing, the two things that showed up um, in our reading today. And the first one is the boundary markers. And I'd put the red lines there to show where the boundary markers definitely were. 
Um, maybe they went further and around and all that kind of stuff. I don't know how far and extensive they were, but they're definitely right there at the entrance to the mountain. Now, how do I know that? Because they're, they're still there. They're still there. Uh, and, and not just because there's piles of rocks. I mean, there's rocks everywhere. There's ro- like, if, you're, if you're in this part of the world, like, there's piles of rocks and you could call them anything. But we know that these rocks are the actual boundary markers from the book of Exodus is because they are painted with warning signs. And here's what the rocks look like. They were discovered in 2018, all on the, on the rocks around here, on the, on the side that wasn't washed with rain, on the underneath sides of these rocks, you have basically archers or archers shooting un, unarmed people. And remember, in, in the Bible, they're supposed to put boundary markers, and, and it says, put boundary markers, this is verses 12 and 13, anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death, and said they should be shot with arrows and, and not live, stoned or shot with arrows. And, and so what you have in these, these stones is you've got the scenes of what will happen to you if you cross this line. It, it, we have this all the time in, in our signage today. Like the, um, you know, warning electric shock. You know, you know like that, that, you know that sign or whatever it is where somebody's getting electrocuted and you're like, oh, that's kind of gruesome. Or, or the sign about like warning danger of hand getting crushed and it's like, it, you know, like... You know, I don't know, like, it just, it just looks gruesome. We're like, this will happen. If, you know, we, we do this in our signage today. You have all these rocks with this painted archery warnings in, in this area, these, these boundary markers, exactly at the base of the mountain where uh, the Bible says they're supposed to be. So we know we're in the right pr- place here when it comes to Mount Sinai. The remnants of the boundary markers are still there. Um, Okay, back to the map here again. The other thing that you can see is one of the most significant aspects of this mountain, different from any other, every other mountain in top in this area, is this one is burnt black. Okay, you can see it. You can see only at the top it's burnt black. There are other mountain peaks that are higher, not burnt black. There are other mountains all around, not, but this one is burnt black and it's been charred black from the outside. This is not volcanic rock that is black all the way through and through. It's been charred black on the outside, like from smoke, like dense smoke. Um, you know, I'm thinking like the Glasgow Cathedral, you know, like the, the, it's, been, it's been darkened because of the industrial, I don't know, I don't want to talk about pollution. Anyway, so uh, for things like that. Uh, and charred, it seems like it's been charred at about 500 degrees for a bit of time. Like it's charred in deep, uh, dark black externally though externally though now i think i've mentioned this before but one of the issues that scientists have on why this couldn't be the real mount sinai and besides the fact that it is uh is that they need it to be a volcano they're looking for it to be a volcano this is not a volcano it has not erupted because the phenomenon that we would see in the bible is described it's describing like what what is goes on with an ash cloud in a volcano? You got that thick, dark smoke, like like a furnace rising up from the mountain. You got the fire, you know, God descending on the mountain like fire. You have the lightning that goes around the ash uh, cloud, lightning and all of that. You got earthquakes often with, with um, with volcanic eruptions. All the phenomena that the Bible describes when it comes to God settling down, coming down and settling on this mountain, describes this, the awesomeness of this volcanic moment, and yet Jabal Mokla didn't erupt. 
it's not this. This isn't that. It, but it, look, it has that appearance uh, exactly as the Bible described. If it was a volcano, then the rocks would be burnt black through and through. But not. It's just, they're just only uh, covered on the outside. Let me show you what the rocks look like. So that the, on the right, you can see the dark burned bit on the bottom and then the, the exposed bit on the top. The, the rocks are exactly the same as all the way up the mountain. They're exactly the same as every other mountain. These are not different rocks on top of this mountain. It's just the same. They're just charred black on the outside. I, I snapped that uh, one pick, the other pick with the, somebody pulling off a bit of the black rock, kind of breaking off a bit of the, the charred bit, and you can see the, the, the normal color of the stone underneath. It's just, it's just the same. It, it, there's this, something that happened on this mountain where it was, uh, you know, consumed with smoke unlike any other mountain, maybe uh, heated up about 500 degrees of fire for a little bit of time, and it left this mark forever. Like it's permanently marked, this mountain. Oh, one of, just as a side note, um, it, it got me thinking about this w one miracle of this moment that I don't, uh, I've never really thought about before. You know, you're, you're thinking about that, the awesomeness of this moment. Um, but, you know, it describes the fire, you know, the, the heat. And I'm thinking of like Moses and Aaron and Joshua going up the mountain and it's like 500 degrees or something like that. And I'm thinking like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they go into the fiery furnace and yet they're un... un but even if there wasn't heat at that moment, like how do you breathe? It's like thick darkness. It is a, it's a, it's a dark, dense cloud. Like there's, a mir there's miracles there in God meeting it, calling them up the mountain, sustaining them, and just, just a real extraordinary moment. Okay. Google Earth map again, or picture here, yeah. So... I'm going to read these verses, a couple of verses here, a few more times. Now you can see this, this charred black mountain. See how extensive it is. Maybe you just thought of it as like a bit at the very, very top. It's quite a wide area that was charred. You, you're, you're talking like this whole expanse of this area, way bigger than I ever imagined it. Like just consumed with fire and and. and and smoke. I mean, you see how, how huge this area is. I, I, impressive. But, but picture this as I read. On the third day when morning came, again, these are the same words I read from chapter 19 earlier, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud blast from a ram's horn so that all the people in camp shuddered. I mean, you're standing at the base, you're seeing the massiveness of this moment. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. At the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And while this is happening, this, this imagery that you're looking at, they, while this is happening and they're looking at it, it's that imagery but like way wider, way more of it. And, and as they're, they're looking at it, then they, they hear things, I am Yahweh your God. You will have no other gods besides me. You're not to make an idol out of anything. And my name, you better honor my name. I am not going to hold anyone guiltless who disrespects my name, who dishonors my name, my name is going to be honored. And speaking of honor, uh, honor your father and mother. <laughs> Respect the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. 
Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't give false testimony against your neighbor, don't covet things. I am Yahweh. He speaks that. The nation hears this. And then the very next verse, as I read earlier, after that declaration, in that context of awesomeness of revelation, it says, all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the ramps run, and the mountains surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled. Like it terrifying. This is, this is a terrifying display of God's awesomeness and stood at a distance. Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, they said to Moses. But don't let God speak to us or we will die. There is just such an awareness of how awesome and terrifying and powerful God is and how much more he is and how fragile we are in comparison. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. Why is the mountain charred black? Why is this whole awesome display of God's power and presence, uh, why did he do this in such a terrifying way? The answer is, so that we would fear God and not sin. That we would be captivated with how extraordinary and awesome He is. And that we would respect Him and revere Him and not be casual about sin because He is quite a big deal. Now, Brian, we're in the New Testament now. And, you know, that we're not supposed to be afraid of God. We're not supposed to be afraid of God. We are supposed to approach the throne of grace with confidence. We are supposed to, you know, we are part of, we're adopted in God's family. We're new creation beings. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We are, we are, um, we are part of the family of God. So we're, we're not supposed to be afraid in the New Testament because, you know, God is our Father and He's good and loving and gracious and all of that. Yeah. So God did not char the mountain black so that the people would be terrified and run away. That, not that kind of afraid. Moses even said in verse 20, don't be afraid like that. Because they were like, we don't even want to hear God speak. They were, they were the wrong kind of afraid in that way. Right? It's not that kind of a fear. It's a different kind of fear. And, and what, is, what does it mean to fear the Lord in the healthy way? It is to seriously, seriously respect Him. Like way more than normal. It is to take him very seriously to, just to know just how powerful and awesome he is. It is to, to treat him like, of course he's the one that gets to declare the, rule, the rules from the mountaintop. Of course he's the one that gets to tell, can you see this? How, how beyond, how, 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 how powerful, of course I'm going to do what he says. And plus he loves me and, I, and he's got a good plan and all that kind of stuff. But of course I'm going to do what he says because he's, Wow, he's just awesome and wow. Look at how a New Testament church, this is a description of how a healthy, effective New Testament group of believers. In Acts 9. So the church throughout all of Judea, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord. That's a New Testament church. And encouraged by the Holy Spirit it increased in numbers. The, the two things, New Testament believers, loved by God, they are, we are at our best as God's people when we live with the right, sacred, holy fear of awesome God in the good way. 
and being encouraged by the Holy Spirit. That's the church that grows. That's the church that, that, that when Christians take God seriously more than normal, that's when the church starts to take off. You know God is real, right? Like real? You know God's real. You know he's a big deal. Like God, like God is a, a really big deal. That he is to be honored, admired, respected, worshipped. Like you, you know that, right? How are you doing in the deep places of your heart ha having this awareness of the awesomeness of God, the wow and the wonder of God? I love coming back and just trying to make sure we don't lose the wow and wonder of God. That, that is so significant, not just to be wow and, uh, wowed by God's grace and forgiveness, which is, which is great, but like the wow and wonder of the awesomeness of who God is and what he is like as him. Just the splendor of, you know, whether it's glimpses of the throne room of heaven and God in his splendor and power or, or moments like this in Mount Sinai where God kind of reveals a glimpse of, of how, of how superior, superior and how extraordinary he is. We need to have that wow and the wonder lest we become too casual and not take sin as seriously. Let's become too casual and, and, and just kind of like not worry too much about, I mean, I got it, that's God's opinion, but it's that, that sense, that right wow, that right awareness of the awesomeness of God, that is supposed to be a glorious guide of, so that we live rightly in response to this God who is spectacular. The whole point of this burnt-topped mountain is God wants his people not just to think of him as gracious and loving and compassionate and all that, which he is, he is, he is. In fact, he's going to declare it on this mountain. I am gracious, compassionate, slow to become angry, angry bound, uh, abounding in love and faithfulness, quick to forgive, and all this kind of stuff. He's going to do all that. And yet I don't hold the gift. I mean, I, there's a lot more there. But he's going to reveal all that. But also, he, he wants to make sure that we not, think, not just only think of him that way, but also that he is awesome. Terrifying in power. Expects us to take him seriously. Like really seriously with our choices, with our behavior, with what we do with our time, our money, and our, our lives. Yeah, I look at this mountain, this burnt-topped mountain, and to me it means I need to take God more seriously. I need to take God more seriously and live worthy of the awesomeness of God. Follow him as the awesome one that he is. And that, that is the point of this display, right from verse 20 of chapter 20. Moses responded to people, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you so that you will fear him. That's so that you will fear him and will not sin. That's the point. That's the point. The challenge for today is um, I want you to write down three changes that you would make if you take, started taking God even more seriously than you do. Now, some of you are just like, I take God so seriously, I couldn't do another thing. Well, you know, pray about it. But for the rest of us, uh, we're going to make a list of, of just three things. You know, if I was going to take God more seriously in my life, what, what, what changes would I make? Maybe I'd spend more time with him. Maybe I'd turn away from doing that. Maybe I'd avoid this. Maybe I'd start that. You know, what, what changes would you make? God is a big deal. He's a bigger deal than we tend to think day to day. And I just hope that, that you start uh, being intentional about, okay, cultivating 
cultivating some of that wow and wonder again of God. Let me, let me pray. Let me pray for us. And, and just as, we, as you close your eyes, I, I want you to think about God in his awesomeness, whether it's Mount Sinai or throne room of God or, or whatever. You probably have to think bigger than your first thoughts here. He's more, more awesome than that. I want you to come before this awesome God and talk to him for a moment. Maybe just acknowledge, you are God. I am not. It's obvious now that I follow you. You don't follow me. I follow you. Thank you for your grace, your love, your mercy. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. If you want to give your life to this God, I, I suggest praying something like this, God, here I am. Forgive me. I now dedicate the entirety of my life to following you. You will be my God. I will follow you. I give my life to Jesus, to obedience to Jesus, and I ask for the spirit of Jesus to come and fill me up, to give me a new beginning, a new start. Father, we thank you. Uh, reveal your awesomeness to us over and over and over in Jesus' name.